Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Amen. This morning, the first place we'll come to. Now, if you want to go ahead and prepare for a little bit for a little bit more this morning, uh, we'll also be in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. But as we begin Vision Sunday, I wanted us to come to this verse of Scripture that in particular mentions what it is, uh, or rather what, what, is, what it is to not have a vision, what comes into our lives if we do not have a vision. Now, I want to say this this morning that when it comes to the way that this verse is used, this verse is very similar to a verse I preached a couple of weeks ago out of um, the book of Proverbs and uh, where the Bible says uh, where the Bible talks about uh, soul winning and the Bible when the Bible says that he that winneth souls is, is wise, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life but he that winneth souls is wise and how that verse is used uh, most of the time and I even had some folks come to me after church and said, Preacher, you're exactly right. I, 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 what I made the statement that I had never heard anyone preach that verse. All I've ever done is hear people use that verse and use that verse to introduce other thoughts, but never break apart and preach that verse. And so this verse is a verse very similar to that. Uh, most people that uh, use this passage of Scripture, they, they are, that preach this passage of Scripture, uh, they do not preach it in what I believe is its context here in the book of Proverbs. What they do is they will use this verse on a vision Sunday or something of that nature like we are in this morning when they are giving a vision and they'll take this verse and they'll say, well, we've all got to have a vision. We've all have to have uh, something we're reaching for and a goal. And I will say this, while I believe that's possible, I'm you, I believe that's true. I'm using that verse on Vision Sunday. But I will say this, I do not believe that that is what this is talking about in the context. Notice when the Bible says, and again, I'm just going to introduce this and move on to the vision God has given us because I do see a principle here when we take this verse and we do more than the norm and we just take the word vision and grab that word out of the verse and then never mention this verse again and just go on to whatever else we're talking about, I do believe there's a principle here that applies to you and I having a vision as a congregation, as a pastor, and as a church for this new year, for 2022. I've already told you uh, what my vision is, at least the, 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 the foundation thoughts of the vision. I've put it in the bullets, and we have it hanging on the wall. Amen. Three things. I'll mention one of them today. Number one, I believe God wants wants us to reach in. Number two, God wants us to reach out. And number three, God wants us to reach forth. And we'll deal with reaching in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in just a moment. But here in this passage when the Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. For us to just simply take the word vision and, and, and use that as a goal or a or a list of tasks or hopeful, wishful thinking or perspective uh, for a new year or for the church or whatever the case may be, that does not keep the context of these verses. Notice that just as much as this verse speaks about vision, the verse also speaks about the law. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but contrasted to that. But for there to be a contrast, these two things have to have some uh, connection to each other. For us to just take this and say it's wishful thinking or it's a goal, it does not keep the thought to where it makes sense and is connected to the contrast of the rest of the verse. Do you all understand what I'm saying there? Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. There must be something about 
having a vision that is connected to someone that keeps the law of God. This word vision here in the text, it, uh, in, in verse number 18, it means to perceive. It means to have the ability to see <coughs> beyond what is seen in the physical present. It means to have perception beyond normal experiences. This word carries the idea of something being enlightened or to have something light up as a light breaking through, uh, uh, breaking through the darkness and giving a moment of sight and vision even in the darkest of situations. The vision here is literally talking about that, having the ability to see. However, this word is not speaking about physical vision. When this word is used in the scripture, it is being used in the sight or in, 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 in sight of a what the Bible calls a seer or a prophet. Someone that has been given a prophetical vision. Someone that has been given a direct revelation from God. Here in this passage we are not talking about physical vision, but we are talking about prophetical vision. We are talking about a divine communication from God to his people. In the scriptures this word is often used when speaking about a prophet who had been given a word from God supernaturally, providentially and divinely. This word is used often throughout the scriptures as well to speak about those moments when God has chosen throughout the history of the word of God to allow one of his children to have a revelation from God in a dream. The Bible will call it a vision. Here the Bible says that when there is no vision. In other words, when there is no word from God, when there is no revealed truth from God to his children, the people perish. Now what does the word perish mean? We all know how the Bible uses the word perish. Amen. John 3.16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that, uh, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But does this mean that if I don't have the Word of God I'll go to hell? Well, yeah, you have to have the Word of God. You have to accept what God said. Have to take God at His Word in order to be saved. Amen. But this word perish goes beyond just simply uh, perishing in hell. It carries the idea of looseness. The Hebrew word means to loose or to uncover. It carries with it the idea of being unclothed, uncovered or for one's body to be made bare. It is associated with a word picture of one that has long hair beginning to let the hair come down and become loose and allowed to float. This word because it is associated with looseness and activities of looseness it is usually used in uh, it, this Hebrew word is used when speaking of lewd activity ungodly character and, uh, and actions amen. Uh, this the, the association with looseness uh, carries the idea of being unrestrained one, line, one writer says this word means to let loose all restraints. Can I say this this morning? <clears throat> if you do not have God's revelation and God's word in your life, whether you're saved or lost, you will be without the restraints that God wants to put on your life. God, amen, while he gives us liberty, does not give us liberty to do as we please, but he gives us liberty to do what he pleases. Amen. Right. He does not let us just do anything and live any kind of a way. God wants through his word for his people to know where the boundary lines are. We're living in a day. And again, this will probably have to be a message for another day because I've got to get there. Amen. But I will say this. We are living in a day where people want no boundaries. Amen. They don't want national boundaries. They don't want geological boundaries. 
They don't want, amen, they don't want their life to have any boundaries or restraints. They don't want legal boundaries, amen. That's why we have people that's wanting to make drugs legal and, and all of the things that they're calling for, wanting to make all kinds of sexual immorality, amen, legal and put a law to it to where whatever you want, you can have and however you want to live, you can't and it's perfectly fine in the eyes of the law, amen. We live in a, in a world that wants looseness, but God has told us in His Word clearly defined and without hesitation or reservation exactly where the boundary lines are, amen. I'm telling you, it would do you well to live your life within the boundaries of God. The Bible says, if there is no vision, if you do not know God's will and God's mind on the matter, if you do not have God's revelation, amen, you will live a life where your life is boundaryless, where your life is, amen, without, uh, without, uh, amen, without uh, restraint, and because of that, it will bring perishing in your life. Perishing, according to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, of course, it means to die. It means to lose life in any manner. So let me say that again. To lose life in any manner. In any manner what's supposed to me, both physical or spiritual. It means to wither or decay. It means to waste away. It means to be destroyed or to come to nothing, to fail entirely, to be ruined, to be rendered useless, to be lost eternally, and to be sentenced to an endless misery. You know what will happen? When the Bible here says uh, the word vision, he talks about perishing here, says for when there is no vision, the people perish. In other words, when God says vision, he's speaking of God's word that leads us, guides us, and directs us into the ways of right and ways that are in accordance to his will. And when he says that those that have no vision, those that don't have God's word to lead them, guide them, and direct them into the ways of God, into the ways that are right, amen, what they're forced to have is they'll have a life of perish where the end result of their ignorance of God's revelation or their uh, rejection of God's revelation and God's leading in their life will cause them to experience a life of no restraint to their sinfulness. Amen. And that kind of existence only ends up one way. It only ends up being an existence that is ruined, an existence that is wasted, an existence that is destroyed, an existence that comes to nothing in this world. World. In other words, if you don't have this, amen, this probably would have been a good thought to preach, amen, in our words on the word, amen. But if you don't have this, your life, God said, will come to ruin. It will come to nothing. It will decay and wither away. But if you're, you want your life to be built up, if you want your life to be strengthened, if you want your life to grow bigger and greater in this world with God, you must have the vision. Vision. Amen. Amen. No vision. Good. The people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Why is he happy? when he keeps the law. Because God, through the keeping of the law, through obedience to the law, will begin to add blessings into their life. And that growing of a life, the exact opposite of a life that's withering and ruining and wasting away and coming to nothing. If you have God's Word in your life, your life will grow. Your life will be blessed. It'll be strengthened. It'll do the exact opposite of perishing away. Amen. You know what that'll make me when God does it in my life? Happy, happy, happy. Amen. That's exactly what it'll make me. Amen. And I trust it will make you the same way. Without where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So what does this verse tell us, Brother Michael? What, what does this verse tell us? It tells us to have, to truly have a vision. The vision must be within the restraints and the confines and the revelation of God's Word. So, I, I've heard a lot of people and churches cast vision and never point their people to a verse. They've got, get, they have their vision of what they'd like to see in a building. They have their vision of what they'd like to see in a ministry, in a Sunday school program, in a bus route. And they have all their ideas and all their plans and they say, this is what I want. 
But I'm telling you this morning, when God gave me our vision, I believe God has pointed me to specific verses of Scripture to where if we can, and just three of them, but if we can enter into those three this year, we'll accomplish His vision for us in 2020. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I just started my timer. I thought I started it minutes ago. Amen. Dozens of minutes ago probably by now. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Amen. I'm not going to get to the normal time. I, I understand that I messed up on that. Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. I want to begin this morning by saying that I believe according to these verses, where there, again, where there is no vision, the people perish. If we're going to build up this church, if we're going to build up our lives as Christians, we must have a vision that is rooted and grounded in the Scriptures. And I believe that as I was praying throughout last year about what God would have for us to see this year, I believe God pointed me to three passages of Scripture. I'll give you one of them this morning. I believe without reservation that God pointed me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a chapter, church, that I believe that we need to enter into this year. And as a summary of what this verse is telling us and about what God has put on my heart for our congregation this year, I, I, I coined it with just a few words for each of these passages. Number one is reaching in. I believe 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 tells us that every Christian in this room and every person that calls this church home, I'd say this, whether you're a member, whether you're a visitor that has come a lot, amen, if this is your home church, you have a part to play. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that. And you say, preacher, what can I do in 2020 to see this, the ministry of Beacon Baptist Church grow to reach in? That's what you can do. This church, you can take your hand and reach into the ministries of this church. Reach into the effect of this church and have a personal role in how this year goes. Notice what we find here in the text. Notice with me verse number 1. I'm just going to walk through some of these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I, have, I would not have you to be ignorant. First of all, let me say this, of course. We see in verse number 1 that the Apostle Paul is beginning to write to them on the subject of spiritual gifts. Would you not agree with that this morning? He said, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. Amen. In other words, he's telling them, I want you to know what God would have for you to know on the subject of spiritual gifts. Now, before I dig into the message this morning, I want to simply say this. I'm not preaching. I will talk about spiritual gifts this morning, but I'm not doing an exhaustive study on spiritual gifts. I'm going to, we're going to walk through some of these verses. We're going to make an application and we'll be done this morning. But let me say this, there is an extensive study that could be done on spiritual gifts that we do not have time in this service nor any one service to take uh, into consideration. But he's talking to them about spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul is writing this uh, letter to the <coughs> church at Corinth. They a church that was very carnal, a church that was very worldly, that were, they were very attached to the things of this world, and he is writing this letter to them because of their carnal ways, and because their carnal ways have truly affected the ministry of the church of Corinth. Their carnal ways are not just something that they engage in at home. Their wickedness, their worldliness has made its way into the church, and I would say this, whether they bear the name or not, too many of our churches are Corinth Baptist churches. Yes, right. Amen. To where the carnality of its members will reach in. The carnality of its members will affect even the ministry of the church. Paul recognized that and begins to deal with them about how their carnality has, uh, has uh, uh, affected their church. When we come to chapter number 12, Paul has just finished giving the words of 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 11, verse 17 through 34, in which he scolds them for their improper way of conducting the, world, the Lord's Supper, and he gives them instructions on how to properly receive it. They were even carnal in how they conducted communion. 
and how they received the Lord's Supper. They were going in in a worldly sense, in a worldly means, and the, the true emphasis of why we have the Lord's Supper to commemorate the Lord's death until He comes, that was put on the back burner, and it became more about the meal, more about the food, than it did the memorial of the Lord's death. So here we find that He has just essentially scolded them for that after coming off of teaching in the preceding 10 chapters a myriad of other things that He had to deal with them about in their carnality. And here in chapter number 12, we find that as He has come to the, come to the conclusion of chapter number 11 with the issue of the Lord's Supper, here in the first verse of chapter 12, He is essentially telling them when He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, He is telling them that He is moving past the subject that He has just concluded, and He is moving on to the next subject that He must deal with, that they have even affected by their carnality, and that is the subject of spiritual gifts. They were being worldly. This it boggles my mind. Paul is telling us they were being worldly in how they used spiritual gifts. They were misusing spiritual gifts. Now I remind you, this is in a day to where God is, God's uh, spiritual gifts were, were, were more uh, evidently manifest. God was doing uh, through the work of spiritual gift to gifts truly amazing, supernatural, visible things. And so here we find that they were misusing something that God had given them and had placed a special power on and a special divine emphasis on because of the day and the hour in which they live. Amen. As the Word of God was not completed, the New Testament had not been completed, and God was using individuals that had heightened spiritual gifts and exceptional spiritual gifts to get the church to where they needed to be until the full canon of the Scripture was complete. So this is a different period of time that we are talking about. Amen. So Paul begins to deal with them about the spiritual gifts. As he is dealing with their misuse of spiritual gifts, he teaches them in this chapter about what spiritual gifts are, how they can be used properly, and where spiritual gifts come from. In verse 1, he tells them that he wants them to know about spiritual gifts. He tells them that he does not want them to be ignorant of the truth concerning them. In verse number 2, we see that he says, You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. In verse number 2, we find that Paul in reference to verse number 1 and he had spoken to them about something that he did not want them to be ignorant of in verse number 1. In verse number 2 he is telling them about something he, he knows that they already know about. So the first thing he says I want you to make sure you know this. But in verse number 2 he says I'm going to talk to you about something you already know about. In verse 2 he tells them something they already know. They already knew according to verse 2 that they were Gentiles. You know that you were Gentiles. They know that they were lost before Christ saved them. They knew the signature of their lost condition according to verse 2. Carried away under these dumb idols even as you were led. They knew that the signature of their lost condition was their worship of false gods. Corinth was an area that was known for the worship of idols. A city that as a city that was in the middle of a very Greek culture they worshipped the gods of the ancient Greeks. Aphrodite in particular, their goddess of love and fertility. When the influence of the Roman Empire had begun to take shape in uh, the, Greek, the, uh, the Greek region of Corinth around the time of Paul's arrival in the city, they began to incorporate not only the gods of the Greeks, but also the gods of the Romans. That was just a slight variation of the Greek gods. And then they also were incorporating at the time the false gods of two of the prevailing cults of their day. In other words, this, this area, this city was laden with idolatry and the worship of false gods. Paul said, when you were lost, I, you know and I know that you were carried away, that you were deceptively led into the worship of false gods. But now, look at verse 3. He says, wherefore, I give you to understand. I, my goal, my plan is for you to understand, Paul said. I'm trying to give 
you an understanding to lay this in your lap. I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Spirit. Uh, amen. Or by the Holy Ghost. Amen. He tells them in verse 3 how that they can tell what the true Spirit of God is and what the true Spirit of God is not. He tells them how they can make sure that they are not deceived in the future like they were deceived in the past. Do you see what he's saying here? He tells them this is how you know whether you're being deceived by a false spirit or not. Only, the, only those that are operating in the Spirit of God amen will call Jesus the Lord and no one operating in the Spirit of God will call will call uh, will call um, <clears throat> Jesus accursed in verse 3. So he's giving them instructions. He's letting them know how they can live in a spiritual world and understand what is right and what is wrong. Look at verse 4. He says in verse 4, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Remember he said he's going to talk to them about spiritual gifts. He's talking to them about something that is of the Spirit of God. Something that is done by the Spirit of God. He says I give you to understand. I want you to understand this comes from the Spirit of God. They have already experienced in their lost life what it is to be influenced by the spirit of the devil. By the spirit of a, of a demon. By a false spirit in those false gods. Amen. They understand that now that they had once worshipped a false god, but now are worshipping the true God. Paul says, as I talk to you about spiritual things, I want you to understand how you can know what's spiritual or not. That's verse 3. And in verse 4, he begins to unveil for them the spiritual truth that he wants to teach them, that he told them he was going to speak to them about in verse number 1. He begins his instruction in verse 4. Verse 4, he says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. In other words, he's saying there are different gifts, but they all came from the they all come from the same Spirit, Holy Spirit of God. The gifts are distinctly unique, but there is a variety of them, is what he's saying. In verse five, when he says there are diversities of administrations, but the same Lord. And verse six, there are diversities of operations, but is the same God that worketh all in all. In verse five, he's saying with spiritual gifts, there are different ways in which the Christian can serve God with their gifts. So verse 4, he said that there are different gifts, but they all come from the same Spirit. He tells them in verse 5 that there are different ways in which a Christian can serve God with their gift. He talks about administration. That's what administration means. The way that they can use their gift, administer their gift to others in the service of the Lord. He says there in verse number 5, there are diversities of administrations but the same Lord. Notice what he says, but the same Lord. The word administrations is a word that speaks of one service, a way of serving the Lord in obedience to the command from the Lord. When he says, uh, there are, when he says that there uh, are verse number, uh, verse number uh, five, he said there are different uh, differences of administrations, but the same Lord. Do you notice that between, he said, verse four, but the same Spirit. Then verse 5 he says, but the same Lord. I believe the reason why he said, but the same Lord. He didn't say, but the same Spirit. I believe the reason why he said, but the same Lord is because now he's not just talking about the gift, but he's talking about the use of the gift, the service aspect of the gift. And he is reminding them that every service that you do in utilizing your gift for the Lord is going to be under the direction of our Master, of our Lord. Those administrations, the ways in which we serve, we can not do it however we want to do it. There is a Lord that is in charge. There is a God, a master, literally what the Lord word Lord means. There is a master over it all. In our service we work on the beck and commands of our master. Amen. That's what he's telling them here. There are different ways of service. But the same Lord. Verse 6, there are different uh, there are diversities of operations. Now in other words, he's telling them 
when he speaks about diversities of operations, he's speaking of the, the effect that the spiritual gifts will have. And I know I'm heading through a lot of this stuff. I have, I'm trying to get through a chapter, so y'all pray for me. Amen. There are different operations of the gift. In other words, how the gift operates, how the gift works, he says, the effect that the spiritual gift has. However, even though he says there are different spiritual gifts that work differently and bring about different results, he says it is the uh, same God which worketh all and in all. It is the same God that is working in each person's spiritual gift. So let's just take a moment, and I know this is probably more of a uh, more of a Sunday school type thing than this preaching, or maybe a Bible study or something, but let's just take a minute and step back and see what we've learned so far. Number one, Paul tells them he would not have them to be ignorant be ignorant of what, the, what God would have them know about spiritual gifts. Verse 4, he says that there are different kinds of gifts, but it, they all come from the same Spirit. He tells them there are different ways of serving the Lord with your gift, but it is the same Master that's over all of us that gives us our gift to serve Him with. He says in verse 6 that there are different effects that the spiritual gifts will have. He will begin in just a moment in verse number uh, in verse number uh, uh, eight, he begins to talk about how what effect will come from the spiritual gifts, how they operate, how they work, how you utilize them. He says there in verse number seven, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. In other words, how do the spiritual gifts operate? They operate in the realm of manifestation. It's not something that you're just going to hold in yourself and say, man, I've got this spiritual gift and I just enjoy it just in my heart and just with me. It's not one of the ones they'll mention here in just a moment, and I know how we teach on this and preach on this, and I agree with what I'm sure you believe. One of the gifts is speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. We know, and I'll deal with that more, and why we don't do that today and things of that nature. But I, and again, it can be exhaustive. But I'll say this, one of those gifts was speaking in tongues. The person that spoke in tongues, they're not just sitting there and saying, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to speak in all these languages, and I'm just going to enjoy it myself. No, God gave the gift of the, the, what I would believe is a temporary sign gift of speaking in tongues that it might be manifested so that others would profit from it. Yes, Let me tell you something about the gifts God's given you as a Christian. By the way, we'll see in this text that if you're saved, you have something. You have one or more gifts to contribute in this ministry that you can reach in with. Reach into the ministry of this church. Be a part of this church with. God's given you something that He wants you to contribute. It's got to come out. So many of us as believers sit on the giftedness that God has given us, and we never use it. God said the manifestation of these gifts. He just talked about the operation, how they affect, how they work. He said it works by manifestation. It's got to get out. And it gets out so it can profit with all. So it'll affect somebody else and benefit them and profit them and be a blessing with all means. And I know that I know I know I'm gonna be above your head when I say this. I say that tongue in cheek. With all means, with all. In every single way, if you will let your spiritual gift get out, it will profit someone and it will help them and profit them and benefit them in every single way they can be helped by that gift. You say, I want to do more for God. Let your gift get out. Let it be manifest. And yes, I know everybody here is going to ask me after the service, preacher, you going to preach on spiritual gifts? I will if you want me to. Amen. I think we need it. Amen. But I'll say this. God's desire is whatever he's gifted you with. That it gets out. Amen. Notice he says there, he says verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. That's where I said every one of you has one. He's speaking here to a church. 
He's speaking here to a local church. Speaking here to a church that was on this other side of the world that was not much different than us. A group of born again, baptized believers that met every week to talk about the things of God and worship our Lord and to draw closer to Him and receive more of that vision, that revelation from God. Amen. They come just like us. That when we come to the Bible, we say, oh, well, that was just the Corinthians. No, they're just like us. Amen. They may have been in a different part of the world, may have spoken a different language, but the same God that saved them saved us. The same spirit that works in them is working in us. They do the same thing. Amen. When they came together, that we do. Amen. Bible talked about them praising God, them worshiping, them receiving a message from the Word of God. Bible even says they took up offerings in their gatherings. That's what we do. Amen. What have we done? We've sang. We've prayed. We've met together. We're opening up the Word of God together. Here in a little while, we're going to take up an offering. That's what we're going to do. We're going to take up two of them. One for the church, one for the boardings. Amen. Amen. They're no different than us. Let's stop detaching ourselves from the Scriptures and let God speak to us through the words He gave to them. This Word was not written to me, but hallelujah, it was written for me. And I can benefit from it. So let's try to do that. Man, I'm not going to get anywhere with this, but I'm enjoying it. Amen. Amen. Verse 7, he talks about manifestation, a clear display of spiritual gifts working in the work of God. This word carries the idea of God bestowing the gift on someone, that it is put on them by God. This verse lets us know that God bestows a particular spiritual gift or particular spiritual gifts upon a Christian so that it can be publicly expressed and manifested so that it will profit with all. Look with me at um, the the phrase here. Uh, Let's see. Verse, let's look at verse number 8. I've got several other things I could say about verse number 7. But let's look at verse number 8. The Bible in verse number 8 begins to deal, or excuse me, to detail with the different manifestations of the of spiritual gifts. He said, he tells us in verse number 8 that God has chosen to manif- manifest or display the working of His Spirit in the New Testament church in several ways. First of all, with what He calls a word of wisdom. The word of wisdom. He says, verse 8, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. The word, word here indicates that there are some spiritual gifts that are distinctly manifested in the realm of our speech. There are truly two forms of spiritual gifts. There are speaking spiritual gifts and there are serving spiritual gifts. There are some spiritual gifts that God has given for people to utilize their speech with. I'll say this, if you're not much of a speaker, that's probably not your gift. If you're somebody like me, that God's called me to do this, I at least hope that God has gifted me in the area of my speech or else y'all are in for a rude awakening, amen, and have been for four years. But I, I will say this, I do believe, it's, I don't believe it's a word of wisdom. But I do believe my spiritual gift does fall within the realm of speech, at least one of them. The wisdom, the word of wisdom, it is a gift that deals with speaking. The gift of a word of wisdom, and I'm going to read some of these notes just to try to help get through some of these things. I hope you can keep up as we go along. But the gift of a word of wisdom is where God spiritually allows a Christian to have an ability to understand God's Word and His will in the situations of life and to skillfully apply that understanding to life. In other words, He has given them the ability to speak wisdom. He's given them the ability to have wise insight and then they can articulate the wisdom that they have received from God and His Word. It is one who has an ability to speak with a divine insight in the events that one encounters in life. I believe that Stephen would be an example of this. When after he had spoken with great insight into the life of the nation of Israel, where they were in their spiritual condition in Acts chapter number 7, he spoke with great wise insight 
insight into their life and into the condition of the nation of Israel. Those that heard him in Acts chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says that they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. I believe Stephen displays this to where he saw their, their spiritual condition and had the ability to articulate it to them into where they could see God's will for their life and get it right with God. I personally believe that this is one of my pastor's spiritual gifts. I believe it's one of the spiritual gifts that Dr. Adrian Rogers possessed as he had a ministry that was known as a ministry based on profound truth simply spoken. In other words, to take even the complexities of the Scripture and to make it so plain and to just almost, my pastor can do this, he would probably disagree with this, but I've seen it in his life. I've never stumped him anywhere in the Bible. I've never asked him a question he couldn't answer. Never. I've seen him in just, in just I, I, I'll take for instance an exa- our Sunday school class. He taught through the book of Proverbs with our teen Sunday school class. No notes, nothing like that. Just he's the, he's, the, he's the most impressive individual I've ever met that with no study or thought at all just simply understands what God wrote in his word. Even the most complex of verses, it doesn't seem to be complex to him at all. I've never seen him stumped by a verse of scripture. It's almost like the man just understands every single verse written on the page. And not just that but how every believer can apply it to their life and be a better Christian and honor God with their life. Amen. Honey, am I not telling the truth? It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And I believe the reason why it's unbelievable is because, Brother Lewis, I believe it's a spiritual gift. And by the way, each of these things, we need people in our churches this way. Amen. The second thing he mentions is a word of knowledge. This is where a Christian has the ability to communicate truth that has been divinely revealed to them. This gift in the first century would be experienced in reference to new revelations from God that had never been known before. But today, it operates in in an ability to understand and to speak God's truth with insight into the meaning of verses (coughs) that only the Spirit of God can lead to. Knowledge, as opposed to wisdom. Knowledge majors on grasping the meaning of truth, while wisdom emphasizes the practical application of the truth. Do you see the difference there? I will personally say this. I, per, I, personally would, I personally believe that men like Brother Brian McBride have that spiritual gift. Just uh, I've said this often about Brother McBride's messages. He didn't get that out of a book. Mm-hmm. He didn't. He didn't. That, that truth, I've never read anybody that said it. I've never heard anybody that say it. It just literally seems like God just gave. He studied this passage, and his messages, you'll stand back and say, wow, God had to give that to him. As it could be because he's been given a word of knowledge, a gift to be able to have insight into the meaning of scriptures as opposed to simply the application of truth. Number three, the gift of faith. I'm going to hurry here. No longer a speaking gift, but this is a what I'm going to call a believing gift. It is a gift in the area of, the, of their service in the realm of their belief in God, their trusting in God. The gift of faith is where a Christian has been gifted by God with a supernatural ability to just believe Him. These are the people that it seems like they never have any doubts. seems like they never doubt God. And, it, and it's because, very well could be, and the Bible says that there are, there are some Christians that God has given a spiritual ability to have an unusual level of faith. Now we realize that the scripture says in the book of Romans that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. God, and there's not one Christian in this room that has more faith than the other. If the smallest child in this room that has trusted Christ as their Savior, if they've been saved, no matter how young they are, they have just as much faith as their pastor does. Our faith, we don't get bigger faith. We can add to our faith. Here, this is a demonstration. This is them doing more with the faith that God has given them. Does that make sense? I believe personally 
I'm trying to give examples that you may know so you can connect with spirit, the spiritual gifts. I believe that that great man of God of the past, George Mueller, had a gift of, had a, had a, had a gift of faith. I believe he had a spiritual gift of faith. Without over a 60-year ministry, and I would, I would encourage you to read his journals and things that they have in print, but George Mueller, in a ministry of over 60 years, clothed, fed, and took care of all of the physical needs of over 10,000 orphans without ever asking for money, without ever telling anybody any of their needs, without ever asking for food or for finances of any way. The only person he ever talked to about what those orphans needed was God. And he took his, he took his prayer journal and he would write down what he needed. It said that he would even take those orphans that he was taking care of and they had no food in the cupboards, nowhere in the house. And he'd set each of those orphans around the table with a plate and a fork in front of them. And then he'd go off and pray. And he, I mean, you want to talk about faith. You sitting them kids down for a meal and saying, I know they, they don't have anything to eat, don't have anything to offer them. But I've set them down. I'm going to go ask God for it. And before long, there'd be people would come to the orphanage bringing food and those kids that have plenty to eat. 60 years, 10,000 orphans, never asked anybody for anything, and God took care of the need for six decades. There are some people that God is, and it could be you, that God is gifted with a gift of faith to where in areas, in areas where others' faith may be weak, you, don't have, you, know, you have the ability to have a strong faith. And I'm telling you, our churches in this day, we need people with a gift of faith. Amen. That when it looks dark and when you don't know what the answer is going to come from, we'll get together and we'll just trust God. Amen. By faith. Amen. Amen. Can I say this? And I'm going to have to be done <coughs> here this morning. But can I say this today? You know what a gift of faith will do? If I'm someone that is very weak, has a, has a, I'm weak in the area of my faith, and someone comes into my path that has a gift of faith, and no matter how bleak it looks and hopeless and impossible it looks, they just believe God. You know what them coming in my life will do? The Bible said that the spiritual gifts are given, that, the, that it may be manifest to others, and that they'll profit with all. What it'll do for me, that person with a gift of faith comes, it comes into my path, you know what it'll do? It'll cause me not to doubt anymore. Man, if brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so can just believe God, and they, they're telling me God's got this, and God's going to take care of this, and He's going to meet the need. It's as good as done. It's going to be very hard for me to have, be doubtful. It's going to pick me up. It's going to profit me. It's going to benefit me. Their manifestation of their spiritual gift is going to affect me. Amen. I'm telling you this morning. Amen. We need each other. What is Paul saying as he talks about the manifestation of these gifts? He is telling uh, you and I, amen, that we have abilities from God to contribute and your ability is valuable and your ability is needed. Amen. The abilities. He goes on, talks about the word of faith. Amen. Verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing. I'm going to hurry through some of these. The gift of healing, of course, is exactly what it sounds like. The ability to heal. I believe that was a sign gift. I believe it was temporary. I believe it's not for today. He goes on, it's the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Verse 10, to another the working of miracles. That would be any miracle except for healing. They have a, a gift where God has given them the ability to perform various types of miracles, but not the, necessarily the miracle of healing. That's its own gift. Again, I believe that is a temporary, I believe that was a temporary sign gift and not for today. I do believe that we serve a God that does do miracles. I'm telling you, I've seen God perform miracles. I've heard stories of our miracle working God. Amen. One of my favorite messages by Dr. Billy Kelly was the miracle working Son of God. Amen. Y'all may have heard that. Amen. I'm thankful for a God that performs miracles. But God does not need me to perform the miracle. That's right. It was a temporary sign gift. Y'all have heard me use that term several times, speaking in tongues, healing, and miracles. Those were temporary sign gifts because in the day when the Bible was not complete, and in the day that God, in that time, the, the, uh, He was trying to use those gifts to turn 
turn the heart and to turn the mind, 1 Corinthians says, specifically of the Jewish people, away from the temple and away from their works and away from their sacrifice to the Son of God that was giving His followers the ability to do supernatural things. And when they see the gift of sign, uh, the gift of tongues, and when they see the gift of healing, and when they see the gift of the working of miracles, they would say there's something to that Christ. There's something to what those Christians are teaching, and I need that. First Corinthians says that the Jews require a sign. They need something to see. But the Greeks seek after wisdom. You can, you can use wisdom. You can have logic with them. You can teach a Gentile. But a Jew had to see with their eyes if they were going to believe. These sign gifts were giving them something to see that they might believe. Amen. But there was a time where the Bible said that those things would come to pass. Again, that's another sermon for another day. The gift of miracles. To another prophecy. I'm going to take, I'm going to take just a moment here. The gift of prophecy is a spiritual gift from God in which a Christian receives divine revelations from God and is especially gifted to communicate them to others. For a group of Christians, this, this gift involved uh, foretelling that had not happened yet, but that God had revealed to them would happen. In the Old Testament, the prophets had this gift. In the formative years of the early church, the New, uh, the New Testament, in the New Testament dispensation, the apostles were given this gift as they wrote the scriptures to see what hadn't happened yet. I, I think about the apostle P, uh, Paul's teachings on the rapture. God gave him that revelation and it had not happened yet. I think about Peter's teaching on the end times in the book of uh, First and Second Peter. I think about Jude's teaching on the last day apostates. I think about John's record of things to come and the book of the revelation. They in a New Testament dispensation were given the ability to see the future but now that the Bible has been completed we do not have to have foretelling prophecies. God has told us in his word everything we need to know about anything everything he wants us to know about what will come to pass he's put in his word but I do still believe that the gift of prophecy is for today it's not a gift of forth or foretelling prophecy, but I believe it is a gift of forth telling prophecy. I believe that those in our day that utilize this gift tell forth what God has already revealed. I believe these Christians with this spiritual gift are called upon to take what God has already revealed and has been given they have been given a spiritual ability from God to express His mind to others, to say thus saith the Lord, this is what He wants for us to know. I believe that they are gifted by God to declare God's Word authoritatively, incisively, effectively, and in such a way that it will strengthen God's people by edification, exhortation, and comfort. 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 3 says that the gift of prophecy was for those three things, for exhortation, for edification, and for comfort. I personally believe that is my spiritual gift. I believe I have a gift of prophecy. I don't say that braggadociously. I say God, I believe God has called me to effectively communicate His Word authoritatively, incisively, effectively in a way that will strengthen God's people by edification, exhortation, and comfort. I hope that you would want a pastor with a gift of prophecy. Talks about the gift of the discerning of spirits. This is a gift that is a spiritual ability from God to detect whether a person is speaking by the Holy Spirit or by Satan. It is a gift in which they can discern whether someone is an imposter or not. In Acts chapter number 8 verse 1 through 20 we see Peter utilizing this gift when he saw what others didn't in Simon the sorcerer. All of them were receiving Simon the sorcerer and was saying he's a great one. And they were coming on to him by what they saw in him. But Peter was not deceived. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 20 that they did not get past Peter. Amen. That he saw what others didn't. And he saw that Simon wasn't in Simon the sorcerer was an imposter and he was not operating by the Spirit of God. I believe Peter not only did he have some of these other gifts we mentioned I believe that God gave him a gift for discerning of spirits. 
I believe we see that in the book of Acts. Let me say this. I believe that this gift of discerning of spirits, and while it may sound something somewhat intimidating, I believe I've known many ladies in my life that have had this spiritual gift. A lot of the great pastor's wives that I know, and I'll say this, and I'm looking this direction, including my own. I say that in terms of Miss Kelly Wampler, my pastor's wife, and your pastor's wife, my bride. I believe God has gifted them with the ability of discerning of spirits. And I believe that God has given many ladies in the faith the ability. They may not say much. They may not stand up and teach. But you know what ladies do in church? They watch. I believe there's some in our churches that God has used even ladies in congregations to protect congregations. God's used pastors' wives to help pastors in their shepherding of the church of the living God because their wife has said something like, there's something not right there. There's something not right about that person, something not right about the, the, what, this situation going on, and they've shared that, and it saved a congregation. I believe, ladies, this could be yours. God may give you divine insight into being able to determine the, uh, the, the, the what's right and what's wrong, what is in, in line with God and what is not. For these first seven gifts in our day, that will, it will always require a diligent and devoted study of God's Word. You cannot utilize any of these spiritual gifts without first giving yourself to the Word of God. If you're going to use them for God's glory, you you must be in your Bible. Talks about discerning of spirits. Talks about the diverse kinds of tongues. I will say this. When the Bible talks about diverse kinds of tongues, that phrase there automatically eradicates the idea that speaking in tongues is one single heavenly language. Does the Bible not say diverse? That's plural, meaning various, a multiplicity of kinds, plural, of tongues. So speaking in tongues cannot be one single heavenly language, but it must be a multitude of what I would submit to you are earthly tongues. Earthly languages. There's, these people have been given by God an ability to, uh, by given by God an ability to be able to speak known languages by the Spirit of God. I would say this uh, this this morning uh, that ta talking about these different uh, these different kinds of tongues, they are being given uh, to be able to speak a, uh, to be able to speak in a large group of known languages that one would. Uh, be given the ability from God to speak that does not, is, excuse me, that is not their own, that it might benefit someone else. Again, it was, used, it was used for evangelism primarily in the New Testament. You find the use of gift of tongues, it's some, there was somebody there that needed to hear the gospel, and they were getting the gospel in their language. Say, so if I had the gift of tongues, I don't speak that language, but God allows me to speak in that language. That is your language when you need to hear the gospel, so you can hear the gospel and be saved. On the contrary, he talks about the interpretation of tongues. In other words, that is you not knowing the language that you heard in your own native tongue or tongues. But yet when a person with a gift of tongues would speak, if you had a gift of interpretation of tongues, you would hear a language you did not know, but God gave you the ability to understand it and to be the ability also to articulate that message to someone else. So those are the spiritual gifts that are mentioned here in this text in verse number 1 through 11. So these are talking about spiritual gifts, spiritual abilities. Can I say this to our church? Every one of you has a spiritual ability. Someone else may not have your ability, but God's given you an ability that you can use it, manifest it, to profit with all. Now I don't have time to preach the rest of these verses. I may have to come back and preach them soon. But let me just make this application. Verse 12 through 31. You know what those verses are talking about? Not spiritual abilities, but attributes. Each one of us were very different. If you study 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, you know what it emphasizes throughout the whole chapter? That it emphasizes our differences. 
That all, everything that makes us who we are, we are different. But even though we are different, we're rooted in the same foundation. Have the same Savior, have the same Spirit, working in the same field, in the same service, out of the same local church. We have a lot that unites us. And while we have a lot, a lot that divides us, God is in the differences. God is using the differences. I'll preach these more specifically later on. But look at us. I mean, look around. Not one of us has someone that looks just like us. Not one of us has someone that thinks that their brain works just like ours does. There's not one person in here that we act the exact same way. There's no clones in the building. Brother Cody's different from me. Brother Gary, even though Brother Gary is his father and much of who he is as a person came from his dad, they still don't necessarily always think the same. They don't act the same. They're two different. We all have attributes that we can reach in and contribute with. We all have abilities that we can reach in and contribute with. Here's the thing, though. God expects all of us to do it. Verse 12 through verse 31, the entire premise. You take time this afternoon and read it. There's not one of us that can say that anyone else in here is not valuable. There's not one of us in here that should feel depreciated because we are not someone else. When the Bible here talks about the comely parts, the parts of our body that are good to look at, then the parts of our body that are uncomely, that are not good to look at, you know, the, the parts that only come out in autopsies, those parts, amen, you don't want to look at, guess what? The ugliest parts of me physically, those parts that come out in autopsies, like I was talking my heart, my lungs, my spleen, my liver, all of those yucky parts of us that none of us would want to see, those are some of the most important parts of us. Some of the most valuable parts of who we are are those uncomely parts. And you know, there's people here in church. You got people like me. You got people like Brother Tommy. You got people like Brother Cody. You got people like Brother Brandon, Brother Lewis, people like my wife, that we're up here. And you see us. And you'll look at a, you'll look at a ministry of a church and say, well, I'm not the pastor, so I don't have much to contribute. I'm not on the organ. I'm not on the piano. I don't have a special voice to sing. I don't ever come and on the platform and do anything. I can't teach like Brother Tommy can teach. I wish I could teach like Brother Tommy can teach. Amen. I can't do those things. I can't sing like he does. I, I don't look. I don't look. That's the reason why when I lead singing, I don't do this. It's because I don't look like that. I look like a buffoon trying to do that. <laughs> but you look at people that are up here on the platform, and you look at people that have titles and positions, and you say, well, there's just not much to me because I don't have that title. I don't have what they have. I don't look like them. I don't have that ability. I'm not as valuable. You may seem like, you may feel like an uncomely part. You may feel like the spleen of Beacon Baptist Church. You may feel like the liver or the kidney of Beacon Baptist Church. But those things, you let somebody's liver go out on them. Right. It won't last long. Right. Amen. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not interested in having a liver laid out here for me to look at. But I want mine to work right. right. Amen. I want yours to... It, 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 things go drastically south when the uncomely parts, the parts that aren't seen, the parts that just kind of lay below the surface, when those things start not working as well. If my skin has an issue on the outside, it's not, that, that is not nearly, unless it's a skin cancer or something, if I get a cut on my skin, it's not nearly as important if my kidney or my heart starts working. If my heart skips a beat, I promise you I'm more concerned about that than I am a scrape on the surface. Those uncomely parts, the parts that are laid down low, and we—it's just the same way with a ministry. The people, chances are, the people that come up here, they may not be as contributing as much as some of the behind-the-scenes people. I'm telling you, as your pastor, all of our behind-the-scenes people, and you know who you are, this church would not be what it is without right. you. This church could not go on. We couldn't preach and minister, have the church we have, if it wasn't for you. This building was primarily re redone and renovated by behind-the-scenes people. Right. 
Most of our congregation didn't know what happened here two years ago. Every day there was somebody here around the clock working sometimes through the night. Yeah. That would never even let you know that publicly unless you asked them. And even then they'd be timid about it. Mm -hmm. The uncomely parts, they're valuable. The part, the, the things that don't get seen and don't get recognized and don't get praised, that's important. If you can reach in with some of the public areas of ministry, that would be wonderful. If God's gifted you to do that and God's given you the ability to do those things, reach in with the comely parts. But if you're a behind-the-scenes guy or, or, or gal, you're valuable. Amen. I'd say this, you're needed. Right. You're greatly important. We need you too. You may say, I just don't feel, I don't feel my value. Listen to your pastor, I'm telling you. You're needed. You're valuable. You have something to contribute. You have an ability to contribute. And if you'll just reach in, and if we'll, those of us that have our hands in the ministry, if we'll reach in deeper and give more. If those that don't have their hands in the ministry doing something for God, we'll reach in a little bit more. There's no telling what God can do this year at Beacon Baptist Church. If we'll all do what that sign says, if we'll all do what this text says, and I can phrase it like this, if we'll take our abilities, we'll take our attributes, and we'll realize I'm needed. My church needs me. This ministry needs me. To profit with all means that if you do not do your part, when the Bible says that, he, that God has gifted every man severally, you read it toward the end of the chapter, He's given to every man their gift severally, what it means is specifically. He has assigned a gift just for you that He won't assign to anybody else. You, only you. You may have, you may have a gift of uh, a word of wisdom. You may have uh, the same gift somebody else has. You may have the same ability from God spiritually. But if, since you don't have the same attributes, you'll never minister in the same way. Nobody can do what God's called you to do but you. And if you don't reach in, this ministry will suffer. It'll have to. It'll be missing a piece. Our church would be like a boat that we send out in the water and it's got little holes all in it. You know what you can do if you've got a couple of holes, you've got a couple of fingers, you can stick your fingers in the holes and you'll float for a little while. But guess what? Before long, the longer you go down the river, the longer you go down the ocean, those fingers being put there just to survive, you'll become weary. You'll be exhausted. And before long, You'll have to pull back. There's been a lot of times where churches just like ours, probably even ours, if we'd be honest, we've went for, for the time God's given us, we all have gifts, but some of us are not using our gifts to plug the holes. And somebody else has tried to plug the holes for us so we can get our boat down the river of God's, of God's ministry. But that person that's trying to do what God's called them to do and trying to do what God's called you to do, They'll eventually get weary, and they'll have to pull back. And before long, the boat will begin to sink. But the ministry won't go forward the way that it's supposed to. Let me encourage you, don't be a missing piece. Reach in. Do your part to plug the holes in the boat of this ministry and make sure we can go forward for God with great success. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm done preaching this morning. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.